When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind from, came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in their own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Now, how is it that each of, them, each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia, Pont Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pam Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Christians and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. Next time. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, use um, your words to teach and to change us by your spirit. Um, use the things I've prepared, broken as they are, to do um, wonderful things, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so the last little phrase of the verse is the question I'm going to try and answer. What does that mean? Hear the tongues? End of verse 12. That's what's going on? This is crazy. Are they drunk? What does this mean? Um, so let's just pause and we'll actually look at what actually happened. Okay? Um, we're at Pentecost. This is kind of like a harvest festival. Jews were ordered to go and gather in Jerusalem and worship the Lord 50 days after Passover, which is why we celebrate 50 ish days after um, Easter. And what happens? They're praying, they're gathered, men and women. And then there's a violent, the sound of a violent wind. And maybe if they were modern, they would describe it as a really low flying jet. Something like that. That sound comes. And that is quite startling, as you might imagine. And then, fire. Fire appears above them. And then it separates into these tongues and lands on them. Some of the pictures, they are like just little flames above their head. Probably on them, I'm thinking, on them. Not just, it rests on them, is the language. Um, and fire is an interesting, a bit of analogy, analogy, Metaphor, whatever it is, <laughs> is used throughout the Bible. Fire comes up again and again. Um, let me just go through some examples. Garden of Eden, kicked out what guards the way, an angel with a flaming sword. Abraham, he has a covenant, splits the animals, and a smoking firepot and a flaming torch represent God as he confirms his covenant to Abraham. 
the burning bush. God's presence manifested in this bush that burns. It doesn't consume the bush. How do they get out of Egypt? Pillar of fire, the very presence of God, leads them out of um, Egypt. And then we're in the, in the wilderness. It's a pillar of fire and smoke leading them day and night, telling them where to go. When Moses gets to the mountain weapons, the whole mountain erupts in fire and smoke. God's presence manifested in judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. What rains down? Fire from heaven. Rains down. Brutal scenes. They set up the law. They're given the law. Obey this. You must obey it. God's going to be dwell in the tabernacle. First two priests disobey the law. Um, Nadab and Abihu, what happens? Fire burns them up. Judgment of God. And then the tabernacle is set up. What happens? Smoke, fire fills. You see the smoke, but the fire is there. And then at the temple, the same thing happens. Elijah, Baal versus Yahweh. Massive, you know, they're all cutting themselves trying to get Baal to answer. We've just been doing this in Bible study. And slicing, getting blood everywhere. Yes, Baal, answer us, Baal. No answer, no voice. He is dead. Baal is nothing. But then Elijah covers his in water and just prays a simple prayer and God rains fire down from heaven and burns up that sacrifice in an instant. How does Elijah disappear? In chariots of fire. How was Jerusalem destroyed eventually by the Babylonians? It was burnt. Judgment of God through the Babylonians is there. And then, so we have this image of fire, right? Consuming fire. God is called a consuming fire. And sometimes we enjoy that. That's quite a scary notion. In all of these instances, when the fire comes, fear is the normal reaction. You see fire in the mountain, you go, oh, that's brilliant. You panic because the mountain's on fire. Fire is scary and consuming. It's often used in judgment. And the idea is God is a consuming fire. And then John the Baptist comes. And he says, the Messiah is coming. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's quite a scary little phrase. We think, oh, okay, that sounds good. Fire does not mean good things. Getting the presence of God hitting us with fire, being dumped in fire, it's game over for a human. God is a consuming fire. And so who can stand in God's consuming fire? Well, Isaiah answers that question for us in chapter 33. And I'll just read it out. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling seizes the ungodly. That's us. Who among us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with ever-burning flames? Answer. The one who lives righteously and speaks rightly. In all these instances, only one person entered the fire in the Old Testament. And it was Moses. Arguably Elijah in the chariots, but Moses went into it. Went up into the smoke. And he was picturing Jesus. The one who would enter into heaven with the consuming fire. The only one who walked who lived righteously and spoke rightly. 
all the rest of us will be consumed. If John the Baptist is right, it's panic stations. If we're going to get baptised in fire, fire of God, his presence is, you're unable to stand it. Uh, sometimes I think it's a bit like space. We can't be in space. Humans can't be in space. Humans can't be in God's presence. Just die. And so on Pentecost, you have the violent winds, and then the fire of God appears. Imagine you're the disciples. I think the first reaction is panic. The fire of God appears in front of them, and then starts to come towards each of them. Terrifying in many ways. But they're not consumed, are they? They are not consumed. It rests on each person. The fire of the Lord is on them. And the, the, the thing that's been seen is that they've been touched by God himself. God's very presence, manifestation, whatever you want to call it, is on them. The glory of the living God laying on them. And then the line in our passage, they were each filled with the Holy Spirit. Signified by the fire of the flames. And this is history-defining moment. Back to the question again, what does this mean? What does it mean that they, these, a lot of people, normal people, sinners, have just been, had the fire of God resting on them? Well, it's a big deal. It's, it's, something is changing. And the Old Testament is pregnant. Pregnant with whispers and shadows of a time when God will enter his people by his spirit. A time where if only they would obey, if only God's spirit could do the things. He does it in little bits all around. All the different Old Testament heroes are empowered by the spirit. If only we had more of that. And so the Old Testament is pregnant with these ideas in, in different whispers and different ways. And when Peter starts the sermon that follows our passage, he picks up on Job. Um, I'll just read it out. Uh, verse 17. And it will be in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is saying to the world, this is what we've been anticipating. This is a big deal. This is history changing. God is doing something new. And Moses was yearning for it. As some people start prophesying in the Old Testament, people say, oh, Moses, you've got to stop those guys speaking on behalf of the Lord. And Moses' response is brilliant. I only wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them all. Moses was desperate for a day where God's people would have his spirit, that we would live differently. It wouldn't just be him bearing the burden, but all of God's people would have his spirit. And so here it is. This is it. The new chapter of the mission of God. The hour has come. And why has the hour come? 
because Jesus has died, because he is resurrected and gone to heaven. Um, Jesus is reigning and therefore able to start this new work. He is now baptising his people with the Holy Spirit. God himself is no longer in the temple. He's in heaven and now he's sending himself back down to earth in a new way. But, question again, what does this mean? What's the implications of all this? What, what, something's happening, but what is happening? I'm just going to, there are more than this, but talk about five things um, that Pentecost changes. Five things that Pentecost brings to, the, to the God's people. First is, people are saved by calling upon the name of the Lord, which was in the Joel passage. Peter preaches the first gospel sermon of the church age here. And at verse 36, he says, after doing his, most of his sermon, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The Messiah has come. This is it. The anticipation. Things. It's happened. When they heard this, 37, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Praise the Lord, we are those that are far off, and we've been in his will to be saved. And so this gospel preaching is powered by the Holy Spirit. And now he saves people by his Spirit. The Spirit saves people, I should say. He comes and reaches down and takes them from death into life. And all we need to do is call upon him, call upon the name of the Lord, repent and believe. It's so simple. The good news of the Spirit. This new work. Before it was with faith, just the same way with faith now, but the Spirit is this new element. The Spirit that is revealed at Pentecost. We see the big change, isn't it? The big change is fire on God's people. And we know it's a it's a new time as well because it's Pentecost, it's the harvest festival. He's done that on purpose. It's the time of reaping. The anticipation has swelled for all these years. And now the reaping has happened. 3,000 souls in that day saved. Because they called upon the name of the Lord. It has begun. The Holy Spirit is saving souls. And the second thing I want to look at. What does it mean? It's the reversal of Babel. You know the story of Babel? Babel? So we get our babbling from. Hey, we think we're brilliant, let's all get together, build a nice big tower, and, and, and we'll like, just be awesome, and, you know, we'll get to God. And then, um, well, God kind of laughs and the passage makes fun of it. He, it's so tiny, he has to come down and have a look. But he judges the people, doesn't he? Um, God comes down, judges human pride, and scatters people by disrupting their languages for trying to reach God. And what do we have here? We have a miracle worked by the Holy Spirit 
to do the exact opposite. Then the languages were introduced and split and divided and caused problems. Here, the languages that were represented are united. Everyone understands the word of God. Everyone understands the gospel. And did you notice the text, how much effort, Stan wasn't a fan, but how much effort was put in to labouring on all the different peoples that were there? Stan had to struggle through those different places, didn't he? But that's like, he could have just said there was a bunch of different people there, but didn't. Who was there? The part, I'm going to do probably the worst job. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Lib Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. All these different array of people. Different languages amongst them, different understandings. The Holy Spirit says, well, I'm gathering you. I'm reversing Babel. You will now understand each other. And you'll hear the gospel being taught. So things of God being taught. The, oh, verse 11, the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. What a wonderful reversal. They're no longer united and planning and scheming for pride reasons. But they're united in hearing the magnificent things of God. So God comes down in the same way. If anybody comes down in judgment, here he comes down in blessing to give salvation. The curse of David is reversed. And that kind of leads us on to the third point. What does this mean? It's the beginning, uh, oh well, it's the next step in the fulfillment of Genesis 12. God promises Abraham, I will bless all nations through you. So far, different peoples have come into Israel, drip, drip by drip. People have come in from other nations um, and joined Israel to follow Yahweh. Um, it hasn't got much outside of that. But now, the Spirit is filling men and women from all tribes gathered in Jerusalem. We're anticipating the scattering of God's people, which will happen later in Acts. To the end of the year, it's, it's happening. The gospel is going out. And we live in a time where we see the fruition of that, don't we? The gospel in so many areas of the world. Not everywhere, but almost everywhere. So many. The Bible printed in so many languages. We pray for more languages to translate into the Bible. Christianity is probably, definitely, by far the most diverse religion. For good reason, the Spirit has empowered that over history. Fourth thing, what does it mean? Um, the change of mission style. It's an interesting one. God's mission to bring the people to himself changes at this point in time. How did the nation of Israel work? Well, God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant. And then there was a big curtain. And the high priest could only go in there once a year and had to do all the right things. And then there was the, uh, the light of the spirit, of the, <coughs> the light of the um, candle thing, <laughs> which represents the spirit shining on the bread of the presence on the other side. And then all the priests had to wear their garments and do the right things and be specific people and be clean and enter reverently because they're coming near God. And then outside of that, you had the people of Israel who lived around the tabernacle. 
and they had to be clean. They had to, you know, if they got mold in the house, they had to do this and that. They had to do certain things at certain times of year. They had to be set apart because there is a God of consuming fire in the centre. The consuming fire God cannot just be approached nonchalantly. We must put in these layers. He's saying, I am too much for you to bear, but I will show, find a way for you to put me in you. And they approach slowly, and then so there's a whole nation of Israel, and they organise their entire lives in these ways out in the Old Testament, what they eat, um, all the things that they do, the way they live, the way... And if people become unclean, they have to go outside of the camp. They can't be close to this consuming fire of the God. They must be separate. And so as the outsiders look in, and the mission of God is achieved as he slowly goes out to the nations, as they look in, they see a people totally different. Because their God is totally different. They see a people who are living totally different from all the other nations because their God is totally different. And so there's a very much an attractive model of mission, in a sense. Um, we see people like Rahab and Ruth who saw these differences, they saw the power of the Lord and entered in, foreigners entered in, became God's people. And so that was happening throughout the Old Testament. And so it was a geographical centre. Even once the nation of Israel had been decimated, Jerusalem was always the home, wasn't it? It was always centred there. And always this magnetic pull back to where God um, said he would dwell. But now something different is happening. No longer is God in the temple. In fact, his presence shown by fire. Where is it? It rests on his people. That's not how it was before. And this is so that they would go out to the world. In fact, God gets, I think, a little bit annoyed that they all stuck around in Jerusalem. They still haven't got it. So he scatters them in Acts. He sends them out into the rest of the world. That's good. Um, and the whole book of Acts... So Jesus enacted his mission in a different way. Um, I don't know if you notice, the key verse of the book of Acts is chapter 1, verse 8. And um, maybe worth looking down at it. Um, Jesus speaking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, central, where God said he started. And then it spreads out in all Judea the southern kingdom and Samaria and to the ends of the earth so an axe is that you see the gospel starts in Jerusalem and spreads and spreads and spreads so the mission of God has changed no longer do the nations look in and come in but we as God's people with God in our hearts go out it's a massive change fifthly what does it mean it's the start of the new covenant and church Interesting, Pentecost has a few similarities to Moses. When he rocks up to the mountain and it's on fire and it's all scary, um, the law was given to Israel about seven weeks after Passover, very similar to the timing here. Um, the anointed leader, Moses in that case, went up the mountain to where God dwells in the fire. Jesus ascended into heaven to be with God the Father. Um, great signs accompany it. 
Mounted on Fire, The Exodus, um, and it, interestingly, ignore the Exodus comment, it's more about the fire and a great noise from heaven, the trumpets, the thunder that accompanies God, um, God on the mountain, giving the Ten Commandments. And here, mighty rushing wind, God descending in fire. The gift and that d- defines God's people is given on Sinai, the law. Here, um, the, the gift that defines God's people is given the Spirit. A sermon is preached, calling for obedience, just the same. In Moses' time, the tabernacle and temple was established. Here, the church is established. So, then the old covenant began, although it wasn't obviously called the old covenant. And now the new covenant begins. This moment in history is the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. It's the beginning of him ruling as head, empowering his people. You all read the Gospels and you see how completely useless all the disciples are at almost every point. They are so terrible. And you just think Jesus has chosen the complete one people for his job. Problem is, they didn't have the spirit. They don't have the spirit. And then Acts happens, and you think, where have these people come from? How is Peter saying these things? He's useless. Peter has just denied Jesus. Three, well, quite a few weeks ago now. But denied him three times. Doesn't care about Asked the stupidest questions at every opportunity. And now he's preaching the gospel, quoting buses, loads of scriptures. And 3,000 people repented his words. Holy Spirit is starting the church of Jesus Christ and he's empowering the apostles especially, but the whole church, every member of his church. So, as Acts goes on, we see, quite uniquely, believers serving, loving, praying, living in the power of the Spirit, doing hard things. In the Old Testament, it was the very, very rare few and mostly the Old Testament is about people being unable to do anything good. But in the New, the Spirit has empowered his people, and it is very obvious. So, I'm going to finish with going through those points again, and giving a bit of an application on each one. So people save by calling upon the name of the Lord, just rejoice. There's no good deeds. There's no... Um, it's all simple. It's the gospel. Repent and believe. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved by the Holy Spirit. Rejoice. Uh, second one, the reversal of Babel. And we're meant to live that out. We're meant to be a multicultural church across the world, especially in a time where people travel across the world. We're meant to represent that diversity and love across those barriers. Churches that are split into their different communities and they don't cross it's bad. We should be and, um, living out the Pentecost reversal of evil. Three, Genesis 12 is happening. All peoples of the earth are being blessed through Abraham, through his descendant Jesus Christ. And so we all need to support world mission. We all need to um, pray for it and think even about our own role in it. What is our role in the mission of God to all nations?
The change of mission style. I think we fall into Old Testament mission style. We think, let's attract everybody in. Let's bring, God is in the building, and let's bring people to the building where God is. That's not how he does it. He says, no, I've put God, the Holy Spirit, in you. You're going out. And so, the mission of the church happens in the world, not at the gathering. And really, the gathering is the equipping of God's people so that they can go out and the Holy Spirit can be seen. And the attractive part is that our character and our love for God is seen. But the gospel is spoken out, not we're not bringing people in and having um, attractive gatherings. That's not the primary way mission works. And fifthly, it's the start of the new covenant and, it's, and the church. We are such an active role of God's mission. We are not just, um, what's the word? We're not sitting on the sub bench. You know, we're not Nathan at football. We don't. I try and get a dig at Nathan every Sunday. That's my little goal. Every Sunday gets a little dig. But we're not on the sub bench. God is using every single Christian. He doesn't just use the, the skilled Christians. He uses Peter. We all get used by God. His spirit is powerful. He empowers us. Not that we'll be doing miracles, left, right, and centre. We've got the spirit of God within us. We are part of God's mission. This is the start of the church. The difference is the spirit enables us. We, we don't have to look like the Old Testament believers. We have the spirit. So we are empowered. He gives gifts to us. He himself is a gift. He gives gifts to us to serve the church. He gives power to live holy lives. Oh, the, the Jews in the Old Testament. Just go back into their sin all the time. You smack your head as you read the stories. We have no such excuse. We have the Holy Spirit empowering us to live holy lives, to change. Monumental difference that the Spirit makes. It's why the standard of holiness is so high. Because we have power on our reserves to use. And the Spirit drives the church. He drives us to spread the word and to glorify God at work, in the family. We're driven to glorify Him in every aspect of our lives. And like in Acts, He's doing powerful things through His people. Don't think because your everyday life feels mundane that God is not doing something powerful or can do. Maybe you're, you love the mundane you want to not do anything for God. But he can, he is doing it. Like in Acts, he's doing the work. It will look different. I think that was a particular time of miracles. But he is building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The spirit, the mission. And he wants to use us. In fact, he chooses to use us. We are his people. We must obey and be part of his mission. It's exciting. It's effort. But we are powered by the spirit. And he knows it's going to be tough. So he comforts us. He knows it's going to be tough, so he encourages us all the time. Jesus is with us through his spirit at all times. So work with him, seek him. And um, seek the spirit particularly today. We are new covenant empowered believers. This is exciting. This is a different world that we live in. 
and it has been for 2,000 years, and the evidence of that church is all around us in this room. The Spirit has been building his church. Those that were far off from this day, the Spirit has been working all the time, growing his kingdom. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we seek you. We ask that we will be full of you. Lord, would you overflow in your dwelling within us. We want to serve you. We're your people. And you don't just leave us alone, but you've sent your spirit. Jesus says it's better that I go so that you can have the spirit. Lord, our position is better with you in our hearts than with Jesus walking around in person in front of us. So Lord, let us believe that. Let us believe that we are empowered by the Spirit. The same Spirit that came in fire on Pentecost has been working in the church for 2,000 years and is still working now. Um, in Whitehaven, Cleetamua, Lauka, Myrus, Jesus is growing his kingdom. And it's your Spirit that empowers us. Let us learn to seek and love you more. So we're going to attempt a song that no one knows. Uh, it's just a chorus, actually. Um, I'm not a big fan of the verses. This but it's just a chorus. So we'll just sing it over and over a bit. And it's just time to pray as you sing. Um, so remember, it's not our own strength, but it's a spirit that's done all this work over the years. Think of the apostles and how useless they are. And then it's the spirit that empowers Christian